North Korea is the impossible state. It's a place that stumped leaders and policymakers for more than three decades. It has a complex history, and it has become the United States' top national security priority. Each week on this show, we'll talk with the people who know the most about North Korea. Good afternoon, everyone, or good evening, depending on where you are, and welcome to another episode of The Impossible State at CSIS. My name is Victor Cha. I'm Senior Vice President for Asia and Korea Chair at CSIS. Uh, and we're very happy to have with us today uh, Jin Myung Kim, who is the correspondent for Choson Elbow. Choson Elbow is the largest daily newspaper in Korea. Uh, she has covered foreign policy and national security for more than a decade. She's reported from the White House, the State Department, South Korea's presidential office, and various locations around the world. She began her career at Chosun Elbow in 2006, and she holds a Master's of Science in International Affairs from London School of Economics and Politics, and a Master's in International Relations from Peking University. Um, and in addition to speaking Korean, she can speak English, Mandarin Chinese, and Japanese, which is really impressive. Uh, you should probably be the senior vice president for Asia at CSIS rather than me. I, I can barely speak Korean, let alone Mandarin, Chinese, Japanese, uh, uh, and Korean. Um, but uh, I asked uh, Jin Myung to join us today to talk about the, uh, the big summit, the state visit that happened last week, clearly a, a major event, uh, Biden's second state visit given to a foreign leader. The first was, of course, to Macron of France. Um, very big event, very important event that we're going to talk about today. But first, let me just, for our listeners and viewers, just run through some of the major um, accomplishments of the summit. Uh, so as I said, this is a state visit. Uh, the White House very rarely gives state visits. It's the highest honor that the White House can afford to any foreign head of state. Uh, this was given to President Yun. I mean, largely because it was the 70th anniversary of the alliance. Uh, it's the 70th anniversary of the Mutual Defense Treaty. It is the 70th anniversary of the armistice ceasing hostilities in the Korean War. So 2023 is a very momentous year for U.S.-Korea relations, and I'm sure that was part of the reason. But I think another reason was that they really wanted to um, uh, pay respect, uh, congratulate, support President Yun on his foreign policy agenda, and in particular, alliance relations, as well as President Yun's very ambitious uh, global agenda. So uh, a very uh, a, a very special uh, meeting. He was here for virtually the whole week, right? He was here for the whole week, um, uh, several days in Washington and then to, to Boston. Uh, this uh, the What distinguishes a state visit is the arrival ceremony on South Lawn in the morning, and then, of course, the state dinner in the evening. I attended both. Um, the arrival ceremony was, it's beautifully done. It's a very special event. Uh, and the state dinner is like nothing else that you could ever manage, ever, you could ever imagine going to in terms of the best and the coolest dinner party ever. Truly the best and the coolest 
dinner party ever. But of course, it wasn't just about um, it wasn't just about the pageantry. There was there was real business to be done there. the The main deliverable of the summit was something called the Washington Declaration, which we will talk about in, in a minute. That tries to address uh, South Korea's concern about extended nuclear deterrence uh, in terms of deterring North Korea from disrupting the peace. Uh, but in addition to uh, extended deterrence and the Washington Declaration, the uh, the summit had a number of other deliverables. Um, talking a great deal about uh, Yun's global agenda when it comes to things like hosting the next democracy summit, uh, partnering with NATO as a member of the NATO AP4, Asia Pacific 4, which is uh, South Korea, Japan, Australia, and New Zealand. They're meeting this summer in Lithuania. Um, um, and also with the G7 when they're meeting in Hiroshima. Um, and of course, very bold statements by President Yun on Ukraine. Uh, which which I'd also like to talk about. Um, and then finally, there were a number of major agreements on what I call the, or what Mark Lipper, our friend Mark Lipper calls the new frontier issues in the alliance. These are not just the economic and the security issues, but there are the other issues uh, that take the alliance beyond sort of trade and security to things like quantum information science and technology, critical and emerging technologies, cybersecurity, AI, biotech, uh, biomanufacturing, a whole host of agreements and discussions in, uh, in that respect. Um, but there's, there's plenty here to talk about, but uh, uh, Jinmyung, let's, let's start by talking a little bit about um, the Washington Declaration. Um, so, you know, this, as you know well, um, amounts to arrangements that are effectively de facto a sort of nuclear planning um, a process between the U.S. and South Korea in which South Korea will have much better insight and participation in nuclear planning scenarios, um, um, uh, uh, training, uh, discussions. Uh, it's not nuclear sharing like NATO, um, but in this nuclear consultation group, the NCG, uh, they've really created a new a piece of the alliance that we haven't that we haven't really seen before, that I think makes it quite uh, quite significant. Um, um, but I'd like to get your views on the document itself and what you think about it, but and also the domestic reaction. First of all, thank you for inviting me. And um, so when I think about Washington Declaration, I think it's a, a realistic solution to address. Uh, the concerns that both South Korea and U.S. the United States have respectively, and um, so if I put my uh, myself in the uh, shoes of the government officials who engaged the negotiation of wordings of this declaration, I uh, surely think I I believe they did their best uh, to uh, address all the concerns and and um, um, because they have realistic constraints uh, they and so. Uh, and I can understand why they see this as a really historical and significant agreement. And uh, when we look at the um, Washington Declaration, at the end of the declaration, the President Biden and President Yoon uh, wants to send a firm message to the international community 
that the, the any any and all threats will be met with a decisive uh, response from the, the two allies. I think uh, it, it is really uh, the core of um, um, the message that we wanted to see, and it's uh, really successful because if we see the reactions from North Korea and China, uh, it, their uh, fears of opposition, I think it itself just shows that this is clearly uh, signals the uh, the um, message that we wanted to send. Um, but from the domestic point of view, it's a, a little more complicated because, um, so that's why I say this is a realistic solution. Uh, um, probably a lot of South Koreans think this is not uh, the ideal document they wanted to see because um, First, uh, because the South Korean society is so polarized, so it is really difficult to satisfy satisfy all the desires from uh, all the different factions within the society. And so, if we see the uh, domestic reaction, you are, probably already know that uh, the, from the left and uh, right, they both have some complaints about the Washington Declaration. It's a totally different logic, but uh, for example. Um, I think uh, we will discuss it later, but uh, from the conservative uh, side, uh, they think. Yeah, let me pull up. So let's just pull up. Let's pull up some examples of that. So we're, uh, we'll pull up um, a tweet from our good friend, uh, Michelle Lee at the Washington Post, where she uh, showed us what some of the reactions were among the conservative papers uh, with regard to uh, um, the, the summit and the Washington Declaration. So if we... Um, let me see if we can zoom in on some of these uh, for our viewers. So f here we have from uh, Tongai Obo. It says, uh, uh, with regard to the Washington Declaration, furthermore, it repeatedly confirmed the asymmetric reality of the ROK-US alliance by specifying that Korea will provide conventional support for US military operations. Um, and then... Uh, is that the only one we have? I guess that's the only one that we that we have there. But also, uh, it's it's worth noting that your newspaper as well, Chosun Ilbo, also was a bit critical of the of the Washington Declaration. So I know I know you can't you can't speak for the editorial page of the paper, but love to get your thoughts on the reaction from both the right and the left in Korea. So the reaction from, uh, yeah, I'll begin with the reaction from the right, uh, because I work for a conservative newspaper and I can. Um, so the core question we have about uh, nuclear deterrence against North Korea, I think the problem is uh, we are uh, not uh, questioning the current state of the military preparedness or readiness of the alliance. Um, uh, many people, uh, who have some complaints about this Washington Declaration, I, I believe they don't question the current state of uh, alliance. They uh, probably they believe that um, the resolution and commitment of Biden administration to defend South Korea. Um, but why the uh, uh, conservative side was not satisfied is they think this Washington Declaration um, took uh, the future potentials of nuclear armament of South Korea from them. And because President uh, Yoon um, officially um, declared that South Korea will uh, adhere to its obligations to the Non-Proliferation Treaty, and as well as um, the USROK agreement about uh, free uh, use of uh, nuclear uh, 
yeah, it's the nuclear. Um, so I think that is sort of taking away the future potentials and future options. Of course, it, realistically, it is really difficult to think think South Korea uh, withdraw from MPT right now and develop nuclear weapons. But uh, but conservative side wants to have this potential option on the table. And so that's why they were they are so disappointed with this agreement because it is like uh, officially exclude those options from the table. And from the reaction uh, from the left, I think um, I've read the editorials from Hangyeore or Gyeongyang or other uh, progressive newspapers, and their concerns are uh, mm, about so this. This Washington Declaration can further alienate North Korea uh, from engaging any uh, dialogue with South Korea or the United States. And they also uh, think uh, there might be some potentials uh, for invite uh, retaliation from China or Russia because two presidents are sending this uh, for message to international community, not only uh, North Korea. Um, so I think that's the um, basics of domestic reactions. So on the one hand, the left thinks uh, it, the declaration is too strong, and the right thinks the declaration is too weak. Yes, you are really good at summing up. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I mean, well, one of the things I learned in government is when that happens, that probably means you got it just about right, <laughs> if you hear that from both sides. But, but uh, yes, I mean, the North Korean, the Chinese reactions really sort of, um, that's really the proof is in that pudding in the sense that their reaction to it really does kind of tell you a lot about uh, uh, how far this how far this agreement has taken the alliance in this direction uh, with regard to with regard to uh, nuclear deterrence. Could, do you could do you have like particular views on like how your newspaper responded? Did you expect your newspaper to respond that way, or did you did you not think that did you not what did you expect, or were you surprised, or were you not surprised, or? Uh, frankly speaking, on that day, I was too busy to think about editorials because I have to like deal with many things. So, um, uh, I I didn't expect to see the uh, word shackle, but but I um, I can just imagine. I could imagine uh, maybe this is not the perfect solution, perfect declaration they wanted to see, and a lot of people wanted to see, um, and. Um, to some extent, I think it's understandable because uh, we are uh, talking about the extreme uh, situation that North Korea may uh, launch nuclear attack against South Korea. So no matter how uh, how much uh, reassurance we have from United States, it's uh, it's an, it's really hard to imagine what actually will happen on that moment. And and. I want to point out that this declaration, I think this is a really um, ambitious title, right? Washington Declaration, it's not uh, something else, but but it's still not a legally binding agreement. So we don't have any guarantee from the US side that the United States, um, the future US presidents will do the same thing for the South Korea and, and uh, future US government's actions. We, we can't really predict it. So I think that's the problem. I mean, I think the the thing about the declaration, it, I think you're right, it, it is very ambitious, calling it the Washington Declaration, a separate document from the joint statement on the on the 70th anniversary. 
And, you know, it'll be a document that'll sit alongside the 1953 Mutual Defense Treaty from now on, even though it isn't ratified by uh, by Congress. Um, um, but, uh, you know, at, at the same time, this nuclear consult consultation group, this NCG group, will certainly last during this administration. Um, and uh, in addition, it wasn't in the joint statement or in the declaration, but in the fact sheet, there was also something about um, uh, South Korean military officials and officers getting trained in the United States uh, in sort of nuclear stuff, which I thought was also an important uh, statement of trying to uh, uh, change the dynamics of the relationship when it comes to talking about nuclear weapons. Up until now, it's always been, the United States always says, don't worry, just trust us. We handle this part of the alliance. And now there's there seems to be much more willingness to talk about it, uh, obviously behind closed doors, but to talk about it in a way that's operational. Uh, and the training part is important because if South Korean military officials and officers are going to be trained in this, then they will have a better sense of what questions to ask and and what what do the scenarios mean and and all of that. So I think that in that sense, we hope that it's going to be the start of a process uh, that will certainly bring the two allies closer together. On the point about reassurance, you know, I think you're right. It's there are um, there's no question about capabilities, right? I mean. The U.S. and the ROC have the capabilities, but the reassurances that come with nuclear deterrence, you know, now and historically have never been perfect. Right? Um, even during the Cold War, uh, they were never perfect in terms of our extended nuclear de deterrence to NATO allies, to Asian allies. So I guess we have to just live with a little bit of uncertainty with regard to that because allies will never feel 100% secure. Um, is it was it really a was it really a big issue in Korea that Yun reaffirmed uh, South Korea's uh, compliance with the NPT regime? I mean, because I I read in some places like people were very upset about that, or maybe it was on social media that people were really upset about that. And to me, it was just that's just stating restating existing South Korean policy. Like they have no intention. To withdraw from the NPT. So, um, do you think it was because they would have preferred that you not do that, that to have the Washington Declaration without that clause in, because that then that might leave an opportunity in the future for them to leave the NPT. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I, I think so. It, it feels like so. It's a two different thing, right? You have a policy and you you talk about that policy that I think those are two different things and how um, this declaration uh, impacts, uh, affects the um, perception of uh, South Korean public. Uh, I think the MPT clause is uh, um, particularly affecting the base of uh, young government. So maybe that's the problem. So uh, the complaint about MPT is not coming from the left, it's coming from the right and, and the people who truly believe that South Korea should have, uh, should reserve the options uh, for going nuclear in the future. Uh, maybe not uh, right now, but uh, just, just to prepare for the unpredictability of the future. So I think that's the problem. So they uh, feel like uh, 
by, of course, you're right. It, it is the existing uh, policy of the South Korean government. Even President Yoon never uh, have never mentioned that he will withdraw from MPT. But uh, when when uh, people look at this document, when they see the clause, they feel like it's something about um, future commitment. So actually, I'm not sure that this is a future commitment. And maybe a future South Korean president can change that policy. So, so but yeah, it's it feels like they don't get uh, from enough from this document, but they're giving too much. So it's the it's um, so it's actually not the criticism of what is being done as a result of the Washington Declaration, the NCG group, but it's really the NCG, but it's really this very last piece where he reaffirms South Korea's non-nuclear status that seems to have caught the most attention, certainly in the media uh, and among the press. What about among the politicians? I, so I imagine that politicians on the left have criticized the agreement in the same way that uh, Han Gyore, uh, you know, may have, but on the right, are pol are there politicians also that are sort of in the same? Yes, I've vein? read the uh, same response from from the politicians because, um, you know, basically, uh, politicians they also uh, uh, have this information through media uh, first, right? They don't. Um, maybe they will have another briefings from the government uh, from now on, but. They just read the newspaper. They saw the, the they watch the TV news. So that's how they get this information. And so I think uh, the similar responses from politicians. Um, and I think uh, there's one thing that I want to uh, point out as a journalist because I think this Washington Declaration was not uh, presented in in its best way when it was first announced mm -hmm. because um, it is just technical issues. But uh, the briefing. Uh, first came from the White House, and so I think there was no there was no coordination between uh, South Korean Presidential Office and the White House how to present this uh, document to the media, and so South Korean media first uh, uh, first have have this information from the White House briefing, and the White House naturally uh, emphasizes this NPT clause because. Uh, it shows that uh, the uh, concerns that the United States had uh, uh, have been resolved with this uh, this declaration. So the uh, uh, I think N uh, NSC officials uh, sort of put emphasis on that. So that's how uh, it is picked up by the South Korean media. And so so in the rep um, hindsight, I think maybe um, maybe there might. Should have been some coordinated effort to convince media that this is a really significant and effective uh, solution to the to the concerns we have. Hmm, that's interesting. I had not I had not heard that before, but that's actually that's actually quite interesting. Um, um, so uh, enough on the uh, Washington Declaration. Let's uh, talk a little bit on the economic side. Again, one of the things that struck me about this um, about this joint statement. Uh, was uh, and, and particularly with regard to language in the sections on Japan, was reference not only to um, security coordination but also to coordination on economic security. As you know, the Yun government has proposed a two plus two plus two, uh, which is which would be the foreign minister and the well in the U.S. the Secretary of Commerce, the uh, ministry minister of trade and industry, uh, a two plus two plus two 
dialogue on economic security among the U.S., Japan, and South Korea. Um, there's also, of course, the issue of the Inflation Reduction Act and Korean concerns about that. Uh, and, um, and then, of course, uh, export controls, uh, whether, uh, I mean, the Chips and Science Act, but also uh, the proposal for there to be control of semiconductor technology that would include Korea. Um, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. How did what was the uh, the uh, the press's view on on those sorts of issues, or was all the focus really on the Washington Declaration? Um, I think uh, for the first few days, uh, the uh, focus was on the Washington Declaration. But uh, af as time uh, time goes by, I I've I read some articles and. Um, editorials from different newspapers about tech alliance and uh, economic security clauses. So I think that's positive because, um, as you mentioned, this 2 plus 2 plus 2. And, and I also want to point out uh, uh, bilateral, um, I think its name is uh, uh, Critical Emerging, yeah. Yeah, Next Generation uh, Critical, critical and Emerging Technology, technology Dialogues. Yeah. Uh, um, I think it is really significant if we, we just uh, can make uh, these things uh, continue for a long time. Um, uh, because when we think of uh, other frameworks like IPATH, uh, it's a multilateral pr platform. Of course, it is significant, but it is really hard to have tangible outcomes from multilateral platforms. But this 2 plus 2, uh, plus two and, and this uh, next generation dialogue, I think if we can continue to do this, uh, maybe we we can uh, the three countries are able, uh, will be able to um, pull something tangible from from these dialogues and um, and I think Biden administration and new government have done a really good job to show that uh, the U.S. Oracle Alliance is a relationship uh, that shares the future and that comes from uh, these dialogues of economic security and uh, technology. So I think that is the positive aspect. Yeah, and it's, it's uh, this new uh, uh, agreement, it high, this next generation critical and emerging technologies dialogue, which is the title. I don't think they have an acronym for that yet, um, but it's also very high level, right? It's led by the National Security Advisors, which, right. is, at, which is at a very high level. I was struck during the week that they were here uh, by the references that um, U.S. officials were making with regard to Korea as sort of a technology giant, like a technology superpower. So really trying to uh, portray to a, an American audience and a Korean audience and everybody else who was watching that um, Korea is an equal player in this and that, uh, and that this, is, this bilateral relationship is, is quite unique because now, they're not just security allies and trade partners, but in terms of technology, um, they are at the, they are both at the cutting edge, which is a, an important th um, agreement. Um, what did you think? Anything on the IRA that you thought was interesting? Yeah, there's um, yeah. So two presidents mentioned about IRA, so they appreciate the recent efforts to uh, to uh, mitigate the the concerns of Korean companies and. Um, but there is some domestic uh, criticism that, uh, that the two presidents fail to have a, a real uh, tangible uh, resolution to the concerns of Korean companies. And I have read uh, an article about Hyundai uh, Motors. Um, uh, so in the first, uh, first three months of this, this year, uh, 
the the uh, sales of electric vehicles worldwide has increased about 20 percent, but actually the sales volume of Hyundai electric vehicles decreased about two percent. And and a lot of South Koreans uh, uh, point out that it is probably Hyundai Motors have taken a hit uh, due to it because they are excluded from this IRA tax credit. So. Of course, it is disturbing for any South Korean to see that, and so. But I, I think at the same time, I understand why the two presidents can uh, have more uh, solution to this problem because uh, the IRA it is a legislation, so it involves uh, the U.S. Congress and uh, the Biden administration, they, uh, the the White House, or uh, President Biden. Uh, will have to think about uh, the elections next year. So I can understand that. Um, and overall, uh, I just hope that we can overcome this disputes over IRA because it is not, um, it is difficult to simply say that this IRA hurts South Korean economy because if we think about the electric uh, vehicle batteries, uh, so some Korean companies benefit from it. So I just hope that in the long term, this uh, won't be a, any significant issue anymore. So. Yeah, and then and the exposure for uh, Korean car companies with regard to the tax subsidy is temporary, right? It will once they start producing these vehicles in the U.S., then they will be able to take advantage of that tax subsidy. So, um, so uh, and and then in addition, there is the 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 waiver with regard to leased vehicles, right? So I think we'll be seeing a lot more. Hyundai's um, in the rental car <laughs> market now, um, which is which would be a great thing because normally when you rent a car, it's it's not a very good car, but it will be if it's a Hyundai car. Um, uh, and then, um, so I I I want to mention uh, that uh, one of the outcomes of the in the, of the meeting of the summit and the run up to the summit were announcements of South uh, of, of U.S. new investments in South Korea. I mean we. When these summits come, we always hear about these massive South Korean investments in Georgia and in Alabama and in Texas and cars and EV batteries and semiconductor foundry plants. Um, but there was also there's also been what almost six billion dollars of investment announced by Netflix and others going in the direction of South Korea. Did that register in South Korea at all, or? Oh, uh, I I hope it will at this, because at first. Um, so with the Netflix, they uh, announced a $2.5 billion investment. That's huge. Uh, but uh, but it's really interesting to see the domestic reaction. So actually, a lot of people have doubts about how this will impact uh, South Korean um, uh, economy because um, so the, a lot of people think that Netflix already have earned a lot with uh, uh, by um, distributing South Korean content. And they, they just don't know how this $2.5 billion will be spent. So, uh, so there, is, uh, is a lot of, there are a lot of questions about how the money will be spent and how Netflix, how fairly Netflix will treat the uh, creators in South Korea, for example, original writers, original uh, producers. So um, I think we have to see, wait and see how this will play out. And, and uh, another, I think the interesting part is like there were six U.S. high tech companies who announced uh, a total of one point nine billion dollars uh, investment. 
Uh, actually, they I, I think they uh, didn't get the uh, full attention from South Korean uh, media or public. But when when I just look at the companies and what they do, and they will build uh, production facilities in South Korea, but they uh, they are all related to really high tech. Um, for example, um, hydrogen and uh, carbon neutrality. So I think they represent uh, the potential of uh, the future that we share, the tech alliance and everything. So I just want to hear uh, more from uh, how these uh, uh, investments will go. Was there anything on, um, I mean, they mentioned sort of biotechnology and biomanufacturing, but do you, do you, was there anything on like, uh, on that, I know that you know in the past Korea has been pushing very hard for licensing for producing vaccines and antivirals. Um, but I I I didn't hear anything special about that. Maybe I missed it. Did you any? Uh, I think that's because it's really um, um, so. I. I believe the experts or uh, the industry people from um, from. Uh, by industry, they probably uh, uh, know the importance of this this investment and agreements. But for the general public, biodiversity, the concept itself is not, uh, you know, it's not something that you talk about every day. Oh, <laughs> so sure. I think that's the uh, that's the reason. Yeah. Okay. Um, so in the time left, I wanted to cover just two more topics. One is, and we already talked about it a little bit, which is regional reactions to to the summit. Um, so the North Koreans have reacted very negatively to the summit, negatively to the Washington Declaration. Um, uh, I wanted to get your views on China um, because I thought there were things that were said in this joint statement and in the summit, not so much in the summit, but in the joint statement about China by Korea that were really unprecedented. So, But I'd love to get your views on that. How do you think? The Chinese will react or have reacted to this. Yeah, I think that's something that we we really have to look closely in the future because, uh, so on the surface, uh, the Chinese uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs summoned uh, uh, senior level diplomats from South Korean embassy in, in Beijing, and and the main reason they expressed the dissatisfaction, uh, I think, uh, the issues uh, re related to Taiwan. So they uh, they expressed the. Uh, dissatisfaction about the fact that uh, the Dune government is dealing the time issue as an international issue and regional issue, not as a China's domestic issue. That's the uh, problem on the surface, but I think um, China probably have uh, much more anxiety about what will uh, happen between the US and RK and also including Japan, uh, because we have so much more going on um, security uh, on the security front and the tech front and so I, I I don't see the specific responses from Chinese government on this because uh, probably they have some time they need some time to digest what what was agreed and and I think it's the same for South Koreans we are waiting to see how these uh, agreements uh, will actually happen for example port calls of um, Ohio class SSBN, how, how that will happen, how frequently, and, and the uh, nuclear consultative group, uh, how the actual uh, meetings will happen. So I think maybe China uh, have more anxiety about that. And maybe, um, yeah, and 
So that's a sort of uh, con- uh, source of concerns within South Korea, how they will react to, to these agreements, how they will um, try to pull South Korea out of this, this uh, uh, alliance with uh, the United States and Japan. So that's something we have to see. And then on Japan, um, uh, President Biden gave a lot of credit to President Yun. Um, the term that I have noticed White, o- White House officials using when they talk about Yun's efforts with Japan is they use the term political courage and leadership, um, uh, which seems to me, it seems like it's a very deliberate statement. It's a deliberate, deliberate talking point that the administration is using. Pre- uh, uh, Prime Minister Kishida is is uh, going to be, I, so I don't know when this uh, this uh, podcast will come out later, but President, uh, Prime Minister Kishida is going to Seoul this weekend, right. right? And so what's the, do you expect, what's the expectation? Do you expect that he will be bringing some, some gifts? The Japanese thus far have been fairly re- reticent mm-hmm. in responding to all of this effort by President Yun to take on a really difficult foreign policy issue domestically. Mm-hmm and really try to, to change it and, um, and move it in a different direction. And so uh, what are your expectations, hopes with regard to this, this upcoming summit in Seoul? I think it is this uh, uh, Prime Minister Kishida's visit to Seoul is really important because I, 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 frankly, I don't have uh, any idea about how much uh, Prime Minister Kishida will do to improve relations with South Korea. It's, it's, it's something that I cannot predict, but this is important because as you have said, why the White House uh, have commended uh, President Yoon's uh, political courage? That's because President Yoon have consumed a lot of political capital on this uh, issue to, to improve ties with Japan and South Korean public. Um, they, they think so far it lacks reciprocity. Uh, we, we, of course, a few days ago, uh, Japan lifted export control of three uh, key materials, semi- semiconductor-related materials to, to South Korea. That's a positive step. But uh, what South Korean public probably want to hear from Kishida is something related to uh, pol- uh, historical issues, historical disputes. and. Uh, so I don't know how far he will go, but this is really important. Um, uh, so I just hope that he can uh, signals that he al- he also not only President Yoon, but he is also willing to improve relations. And they have the other is they haven't. Uh, it was the the uh, exports of critical materials. The uh, some sa- statement with regard to and it's not not necessarily new. Just reiterating. Mm-hmm past statements that have been made. And then, um, uh, and then the, the, uh, the third issue is the fund, right? Whether, mm-hmm. whether Japanese companies will make contributions mm-hmm. to the fund. I mean, they've, they've spoken, the Business Federation has spoken positively of the forced mm-hmm. labor agreement, mm-hmm. which is a good sign. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I guess, you know, that's whether he's bringing that or whether he's bringing that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and if he doesn't, as you said, President Yun has spent a lot of uh, political capital. I, I want to go to our last topic, which is um, there's there's nobody who can talk better about the question of President Yun and his domestic popularity than you can, certainly better than I can. And so I want to go to this graph that we uh, that we put together 
that um, shows uh, President Yun's approval ratings uh, over the course of April. And so for our viewers who can see this, um, we, de we do see a slight uptick in, um, so we're still under 40 points here, but we do see a slight uptick by, um, uh, in the NBS poll uh, um, uh, and in, what's the blue one? The real meter, real meter poll you know, very small uh, increases in the aftermath of the summit, or actually the week of the summit, April 28th. Um, so uh, how do you interpret this, uh, or, or in general, what are your thoughts on how he's doing at home? Uh, so I think uh, President Yun's approval rating has been rebound uh, for the first time in four weeks or one or two months. That's, uh, so I think it's, uh, it indicates the initial response from South Korean public about the state visit to the United States has been positive. Mm -hmm. um, and, but whether this will uh, be a, a lasting political game for President Yoon, I, I don't know. Uh, I, maybe that's something that we have to see because uh, usually the um, approval rating after the uh, uh, major diplomatic event. Um, so usually uh, the approval rating of presidents has uh, rebounded after the, this kind of diplomatic events, but it, it also has a tendency that uh, doesn't last too long. Uh, if there's, uh, if without uh, some um, substantial um, following up kind of uh, events, so for example, Maybe it will be helpful that we see uh, the protocol of SSBN or something related to the summit. So, and uh, the one thing that I thought really interesting is if you uh, look at the uh, details of the polls, um, so there was one question in the uh, Gallup Korea's poll so the Gallup Korea actually asked the people, uh, was the U.S. Uh, was the state visit to the U.S. Uh, helpful to Korea? Forty-two percent of respondents said uh, it was helpful, but the same time, at the same time, another forty-two percent said it was not helpful. Mm -hmm. And I think that just shows how polarized South Korean society is because uh, the 42% who had positive views about the summit, they said uh, they were satisfied with the uh, uh, strengthening of the alliance and, and, uh, and the relationship. But another 42% said uh, we uh, gained nothing from this visit and they, they were disappointed with the uh, lack of uh, substantial uh, economic agreement. So, so that's really interesting. And that's, I think that's the, uh, challenge that president will face because our society is really polarized and people have really different opinions about how things should be done and we have this this another summit with a japanese prime minister kishida and i i think you probably understand how controversial it could be it can be so yeah that's my thoughts on, on this yeah. issue I, yes i i can certainly understand that and even if Prime Minister Kishida comes and he does, you know, bring some things with him, you know, there'll some, be some people who say, "Oh, this is great," and there'll be a lot. There'll be other people who say, "This is not. This is not so great." So I do take your point about polarization. Well, um, I think that that we're we're about out of time. Um, so I want to thank uh, 
Jin Myung Kim, uh, Washington correspondent for Chosun Ilbo, for joining us uh, today. I think you're the first journal, Korean journalist that we've had on the podcast. Oh, it's so, my own <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So we hope we can invite you back. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners uh, for listening to another episode of The Impossible State. We'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks with a new episode. Thanks very much. If you have a question for one of our experts about the impossible state, email us at impossiblestate at csis.org. If you want to dive deeper into the issues surrounding North Korea, check out Beyond Parallel. That's our micro website that's dedicated to bringing a better understanding of the Korean peninsula. You can find it at beyondparallel.csis.org. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's so more listeners can find us. It's very helpful. We're now also streaming on Spotify, so you can find us there too, where you find all your music. How cool is that? And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Impossible State.